0: <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it you who was making the joke about the Muslim family dealing with like you know some superhero whining about having his uh having to register yeah. and they're just like yeah like oh, it's it's
1: Cyclops Cyclops has to get on a plane and they're like oh look I'm sorry Mr. Summers but your face is constantly exploding so you, you can't do this. <laughs> and they take him away and he's like this is terrible and he look looks at Kamala Khan's family <laughs> as they're all there all being like ship to Guantanamo for singing. <laughs> they, like, lock eyes, like a
0: single tear rolls down. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep man, fuck you and fuck off. Hello and welcome to From the Rooftops. That's Clay. And that's Talon. This is a podcast where we talk about superheroes and superhero stuff because we know more about it than you do. Chances are.
1: Or at least, in my case, I'm better at bullshitting it than
0: you are. Oh, yeah. Clay, Clay is amazing at bullshit. Like that one time he ran a circus. Yeah. <laughs>
1: With no animals. Yep. Wait, that's a thing now. Damn! <laughs> I was ahead of the curve! Where's my Ta- cut,
0: P.T. Barnum? Where's Ta- my Ta- cut? I think what you ran was a revival tent. But we're moving away from that topic It's speed. Was there a difference? Last week, we talked about... Secret identities
1: and, and dual identities in general.
0: Yes. So last episode, and this is just one small adjustment, which was pointed out to me by a listener, thank you very much, um... We complained briefly about Wolverine, and we will complain briefly about Wolverine in every episode. Probably he's Wolverine. But uh, we complained about Wolverine not having hey a man, strong we're connection in normal.
1: For as long as he's going to be dead, which is probably be five more minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just, just like, you know, how long until they find another actor who can do that role. Preferably someone short and Canadian this time, as opposed to <laughs> tall and Australian, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but the, um... The connection to normalcy that Wolverine often has is his connection to a sidekick character who is often a neophyte uh, mutant hero type. So you have uh, Jubilee was one, and X twenty three was another, and Kitty Pride. Yeah, Kitty Pride. Yeah, and in the movies, inexplicably, like you could tell they wanted to do that with Rogue, but the movies are garbage buckets full of butts, so <laughs> they didn't. I don't know.
1: The ones with that one. With Wolverine. Logan was good. Uh, first Class was good. Yeah, Logan was, was okay. Lo- uh, first Class was okay. Uh yeah. The other ones that aren't mainly about Wolverine are good.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. So, that, however, is a perfectly decent segue to our next topic, which is going to be mutants as metaphor. Does everyone have their pens out? Everyone in class? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay.
1: like, I guess the basic rundown is for everyone who doesn't know or maybe hasn't heard the term in that way uh it's a general idea of superpowered people as a metaphor for something nine times out of ten it'll be for some form of oppression some form of you know marginalized person and uh, yep. we've seen this again in the x-men i've seen this with vampires and monsters and um uh in dc they have the metahumans which it comes up here from here to there yeah these are all things
0: and now to 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 bring this into a, a broader focus this is because in almost every single fantastic story uh what you will find is the monster and the monster is usually an incarnation or a representation of some other problem and the way it makes you feel turned into a thing that you can interact with and fight like dragons in classic stories even even like the stories that were being told back in the day of like the the 15th century or whatnot Dragons really were more of a representation of immensely powerful social orders. That's why dragons were only ever unseated or defeated by kings or knights. And if they ever were defeated in this way, it was usually as a, a, by a peasant, it was usually a sign that, oh, that peasant is noble because the dragon is only defeatable as part of that great social. With superhero comics, they effectively take this metaphor of the monster and they usually turn it on its head and say, well, what if the person who you're actually cheering for is representative of this power structure or this thing that you can't normally interact with on a human.
1: Yeah, and as for the dragons, it's also, you know, interesting you bring that up because they're always shown as, one, hoarding wealth, and two, coming in and taking your sheep or your family or what have you, sort Mm -hmm. of. And I guess then they represent, like, a libertarian view of taxes, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can also look at, um, just just to use another example, werewolves. Mm. Werewolves are twofold the fear of the woods there you know you don't go out at night because there's something scary in the woods that might just eat you but they're also the fear that someone in your day-to-day life might actually be terrible in a way that they can't control yeah and these are very real things and the werewolf is a way that we collapse that into a story into something you can hunt down with the rest of your friends hanging in the town square yeah that's the that's that's the crux of the monstrous power as a metaphor so that's that's just a handy tool for analyzing almost any work you like to look at now, with mutancy and power, as Clay said, they often are used to represent marginalized people. Indeed, uh, one of the classic memes is that the X-Men are about racism.
1: Hmm. Mm. It's it's funny, because one of the things that comes up is, like, the first X-Men, uh, Beast, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, and Angel, and Professor X, I guess, were, you know, five, six white people, you know, representing racism. But at the same time... You know, <laughs> They were made by two Jewish white men, so... And, you know, the first villain they had was a white Jew who experienced the Holocaust. So, it's funny when people, like, you know, juxtapose that directly with uh, racism or, you know, gender inequality or homophobia. When there were... I, I'm, I'm projecting... I'm not projecting. I guess I'm making an assumption here that they were more directly a parallel to anti-Semitism Mm. consider how they were employed and who who made them and who they made them look like you know
0: yeah and the thing is who you are will inform your work even Mm -hmm. if um stan and jack were trying to represent racism due to their own experience with anti-semitism odds are really good that's what they'd see Mm -hmm. Uh, and that that would probably inform how they wrote it i i refer more to the sort of broad genre sweep of it now the way that the x-men Rather than any individual issue, but X-Men in general are regarded, which is people tend to think of them as a metaphor for racism, uh, as applied to white people who are also wizards. Yeah. It... That's a reductivist point, and it's meant to be that way. It's meant to make you pause and maybe laugh at it for a moment.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I, I'm up to, I think, I think it can work as sort of exploring some of these ideas. It also requires a certain level of I guess, recognition of what it is, again, of, hm, how best to put this, of understanding where it doesn't work. You have to know where the metaphor has to stop. Yes. In the fiction, not in terms of, oh well this doesn't apply to real life like this. No, this is, you have to say, well no, this is not a one to one in the fiction. And so we, as characters, will address that.
0: Yeah. Related to that, for example, is the, the notion of uh, the X-Men representing black-white relationships in America, that all falls down when you remember that there are people who genuinely think that black people have, like, physical superpowers. And that's, that's like a really stupid idea that's really persistent in America.
1: That's such, that's that's the biggest thing, too, is where there's a legitimate element of threat with a superpowered entity as, a mm-hmm. you know, like an actual real threat. Cyclops' face is always exploding.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Kind of a thing.
1: <laughs> you know, the threats that people presume of different ethnic or sexual or gender groups are completely fictional. Yeah. they I don't, I say that people don't believe bullshit, or rather, people don't believe these sort of justifications. They have an immediate reaction that's, you know, bred into them. And instead of personally disregarding that reaction, they decide they need a reason for that to be true. Yeah, it's like when people say, you know, uh, if the gays get married, it'll destroy marriage and our society. That's not true. That's easily, provably false. But what it is, is that person sees gay people and they get a case of the ickies. And instead of thinking, well, that's stupid. Why do I feel this way? They have to keep twisting themselves into justifications for why they want to not see that. You know? And
0: now we get to one of the citations for this episode. Yeah, we have, we have citations, motherfucker. Right. Um, but one of the citations, you look into the work of Dr. Luke Galen of mm. the University of Michigan, who has done a fascinating study about uh, disgust reactions and pro-sociality of religiosity, in which that's the basic way our morals tend to work. Do we have an ick reaction to things? If we do, our brain then sits there and tries to reflexively justify why we felt icky, rather than necessarily making ickiness somehow, uh, rather than accepting, oh, I just went ick, they have to go, okay, no, I went ick because my brain is perfect, therefore this must be why I went ick. Um, you can actually, the study is, in a way, darkly comical. Part of what they do is they ask a various, uh, group of white men from Jersey, uh, their reactions and positions on gay marriage. And their answer is different depending upon if they are being asked by an attractive young woman who's wearing a a pro gay shirt, or if they're being asked by a large, heavy set, you know, powerful looking man. And it's just such an obvious kind of you would expect that study to come out and like, well, the the answer is too obvious, so we decided it has to be discarded.
1: (laughs) Uh, We can even look at like when people dehumanize certain races like you can walk up to a human being and talk to them even if you and them don't speak the same language you can talk to. i can speak to someone speaking chinese i don't speak chinese i know they're talking to me i don't understand what they're saying but i can immediately process like the sentience and the sapience behind them whereas yeah. if i go to a parrot and he parrots or it parrots parrot you know english back to me i speak english i can still tell that parrot is not a sapient creature. Yeah. Where, but when people want to dehumanize people of other races, it's not because, well, clearly they're not human. They're not as smart as us. No, you're just having a, a, in, you know, an ingrained reaction and you need to justify it. Like, yeah. You need to like, I guess, parse out that difference in reality where you immediately respond to someone different from you as if they're not human, even though they clearly are. So you mm-hmm. break that difference. Whereas, in a mutant setting again there's a real issue there there's something tangible there that person has uh, represents a very real threat that has to be considered mm-hmm. and treating that as a one to one metaphor in a lot of ways legitimizes like the bigoted mindset because it goes, no, your feelings are valid. It doesn't say, no, your feelings are completely invalid and you need to analyze them. It says, your feelings are valid, but you need to work around those valid feelings, you know?
0: Yeah. God, now, the, like, uh, right. the, the point about anti-Semitism as well is it, it becomes a little more obvious that anti-Semitism is definitely the, the framework they were working from when you look at classic Jean Grey. Because, because Gene Grey is Such a bad metaphor for racism if she's meant to be. She's very conventionally hot. She has literally nothing about her powers shows up as her. And no one would ever know anything about her powers. And if they did, she could make them forget about it if she wanted to. So her whole fear is that someone else somehow making that information about her connected to her obviously and openly which is much more of a present threat after world war Two era dealing with jewish people like that's that's one of the things that jewish people legitimately were afraid of coming to america and that's why there were so many name changes
1: that yeah, from Stanley stan lieber to stan lee
0: yeah don't know what jack went from but still the kirby's still a pretty standard jewish name isn't it i like, think honest... i don't the Jewish population of Australia is not very strong. I don't actually know that many. I just I know,
1: know Jack Kirby point. seems like such a militant guy that he wouldn't.
0: It's a good point. Uh, by the way, shout out to Jack Kirby threatening to fight Nazis with a baseball bat. What In no the street. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> what a champion. Uh, <laughs> anyway, a bunch of Nazis have come by to be angry at you about Captain America. Well, I've got some stuff to be angry about Nazis with, so <laughs> oh,
1: Don't anyway. let, let me go downstairs. We'll, we'll work it out. Me and old Sheila (laughs) here.
0: Bless that man. Uh, Anyway, the, the, uh, so, so this is, this is leading to a more modern problem where the X-Men are often being pulled into stories with often, let's say, well-meaning, but slightly incompetent authors who are trying to use the language of modern discourse around marginalization, especially issues of race, and just write that into the X-Men and thinking that it just works. And that's where you get some really awkward problems.
1: There was a thing that happened a couple of years ago with uh, Havoc. Uh, yep. Cy- Cyclops is bro- Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Where he gets on, like, the news. He gets on the news and talks about how, you know, I don't want to be just... Uh, I don't want to be a mutant. We're all people. He basically, like, gives, like, the the black Republican speech, but yeah. I guess written by someone who doesn't understand that distinguish you know that distinction you know just oh why can't i just be a regular person like i don't like the m word or something to that effect and i think this is when the x-men and the avengers kind of fused together for a while we had the uncanny avengers and he was on that group sort of being the face of that aspect of the movement and i think it was also scarlet witch discussing (laughs) how kind of accurately but again in the context of the metaphor, it's interesting, because this is a point where the metaphor breaks down, but because the person didn't understand the thing being used metaphorically, they still <laughs> fucked it up. But she talked about how mutants don't have a unifying culture, and mutants aren't a thing. And considering where mutants are now, I I almost kind of wonder if that wasn't them laying the groundwork, you know, with the whole inhuman thing. Like, yeah. Because that was well, several years before, and... Where they were up till a few like the last year, I don't know. Maybe they were sowing those seeds.
0: The thing I love the most about this speech from Havoc is that it was so very "I'm a seventeen year old and I've just discovered the idea of racism" <laughs> kind of writing. With with a uh, the culmination of Havoc saying, "I don't want to be known as a mutant," and someone else in the crowd waving a pencil yells, "Well, what should we call you then?" And Havoc responds with. Well, how about havoc? And it's like that's not a name. <laughs> you said I don't want to be known as a mutant. What should we call you? My cool mutant name. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you Fair. were so close. I hundred percent bet you that I can't remember who wrote that. <laughs> but I bet you they they have. A friend like that and that's where they got that from and along the same lines of uh miles morales saying he doesn't want to be black spider-man well hey Uh, guess what real spider-man's alive so guess what you are (laughs) (laughs) there's there's only one thing for you to be when regular you know spider-man is around and there's only one thing for you to be when you have superpowers that's a distinction that needs to be made you know
0: Mm. i kind of love the idea of referring to Peter Parker's white Spider-Man from now on.
1: Yeah, well... <laughs> so what are, so then are we going to call Logan Harry Wolverine and Laura no, regular Wolverine? He, he's Wolverine. Wolverine. No, he's furry Wolverine.
0: <laughs> they're all furries.
1: He's short. No, they're both short. They're both short. He's, yes. He's,
0: We're getting he's, sidetracked.
1: Yes, but that... Th- there are people like that. But if you're not a part of the community that has to deal with those sort of person, those, those sorts of people then your perspective on them can be a little skewed. So when you write Havoc as like a mutant Republican and, you know, he just wants, <laughs> that's what that is, man. It's just, it's who a person, pers- he's, he's a person who is, who has been someone's my mutant friend for too long in their life. And yeah. But you get a person like that and I don't think they've ever really explored him interacting with the rest of the mutant community for that. They just presented it as a, look at this, him, he's standing up against, you know, discrimination by being one of us. It's like, there's a lot of shit the X-Men have been through that lets them know that we're not, you know, it's not that clean. And I want a just... smash
0: cut to Laura Kinney behind the podium looking at his back like she's trying to set him on fire.
1: <laughs> and it's the other one too is, um, how to handle, I think part of it is, not letting the metaphor go on for too long. Because I love God Loves Man Kills. Because it's it's tight, it's simple, and it just gets the message out there and doesn't give you enough time to fuck with it and explore it. Which means. This,
0: uh, real, and, real quick synopsis for anyone who doesn't know God Loves Man
1: Kills. Oh, um, uh, what is this? Late 80s? Uh, Marvel was exploring the idea of graphic novels. So they released an X Men graphic novel that was technically in continuity, sort of in between issues. Um, there's this anti-mutant, like, hate group that is being, like, built up by this almost event. well, exactly evangelistic preacher, sort of on television, uh, like, what was the- oh, God, he's dead now. What was his name? It- the- the, the big- was it oh, Pat- William Stryker? No, yeah, William Stryker, but I'm comparing him to a real person. It was Pat something, I
0: think. Oh, it, was- it, was- it wasn't Pat Buchanan, he was modeled on, um, Billy Graham.
1: Billy Graham. Okay, right. He he would get on the news and say that mutants were an affront to God and evil. And oh, yada, yada, oh, and yada. by the way,
0: by the way, three three degrees, Billy Graham's son and I have gotten into yelling matches at one another on Twitter. I'm part of this podcast. See? We're connected.
1: Hey! <laughs> and how do we get to Kevin Bacon?
0: Uh, as as... I don't know.
1: <laughs> uh, we'll get there. There'll be a few more episodes. Anyway, he facilitates the kidnapping of Professor X and through good old-fashioned, not even superpower, but good old-fashioned brainwashing, tricks him into getting into this anti-cerebral that will target all the mutants and kill them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the X-Men and Magneto are hunting, you know, trying to find these people. It all comes to a head with William Stryker sitting in, on his podium in front of millions of people on television trying to murder Kitty Pride. But before he can do that, a human cop shoots him down, they say Professor X, you know, there's big fights. Um, if you've mm-hmm. watched any of the movies, X2 is a very close adaptation. It replaces the religious angle for a military angle, but a lot of the there is there. And it's, yeah. it's a very simple, like it opens and it's kind of gross, but I don't mind it. And I think it works. It opens with the, uh, the purifiers, strikers, paramilitary force. Attacking a pair of young black children and basically like killing them in a park because they were mutants. And you know, Magneto comes up and says it very obvious, like, oh, this was a lynching and I have to pull these children down and this is so terrible. Yeah. So they don't run from it in that way. And there's a, there's a classic image of the, the X-Men arguing with Stryker on TV, like in full costume. And he goes, you dare call that a human? And he points this to Nightcrawler. And it's all sad. I feel
0: so bad yeah. for him because everyone loves does. Nightcrawler. Everybody does, except for really. Stryker. Well, that that really was a well picked, by the way, uh, use of your Nightcrawler. Like he, right. he works incredibly well as a beloved character to kick.
1: And and it's cool because Striker doesn't know his powers. If he <laughs> was going to say, "You dare call that human." And In reference to the metaphor and how power is dangerous, he point the storm because she's massively powerful. He points the nightcrawler, she's
0: basically a weather god,
1: right? He points the nightcrawler because he looks weird, you know? He yeah. looks different. He doesn't know shit about nightcrawler, and his power while extremely useful and kind of dangerous, uh, you get places quicker. Whatever, yeah. you
0: know. Notably, as well, is that uh, Nightcrawler and Striker, as religious figures, both probably have the most overlap in their worldview.
1: Exactly. He has to know that. He just, again, as a race metaphor, that's a good scene because he picks the most superficial and meaningless aspect of the character to point to because yep. that's what he knows. And it comes, it comes out to be that he has a lot of really horrifying history, personally, where he basically like, had to deliver his wife's child on the side of the road. The child came out, mutated, probably kind of Nightcrawler looking, and he killed yeah. the child and killed his wife because, you know, they're abominations. So that's all he sees. He's not, not dealing with the power metaphor. He's just dealing with the otherness. And so yeah. he just puts the Nightcrawler saying this this one's a problem. And if he you're thinks curious, that makes his point.
0: If you're curious at all, uh, God Loves, Man Kills came out in 1982 mm. and was not declared to be part of the canon until 2003. So that's a long time to leave a plate spinning.
1: Yeah, but you know what? It was a single story. It is everything it needed to be, <laughs> and one. The longer you extend the metaphor, the more you're you're stretching it past its breaking point.
0: Yeah, and indeed, love- that's part of the problem. This this particular one kind of dug a well that a lot of comics went to probably more quickly and more often than they should.
1: And it's also that weird thing where. They have to balance being a metaphor with being an actual superhero comic. So there's all this stuff about going to space and fighting demons and everything else. And, you know, where does it stop? Like, I guess you, you come back to the metaphor story every once in so often. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up as well. And I think part of the reasons why it's able, it's been able to hold up as well is because they take those long breaks. They say, okay, we're not going to, Talk about sentinels for a while. We're gonna go fight apocalypse. We're gonna go, you know, hang up the star jammers and there's space between that like
0: let's doodle around with binary.
1: Yeah. And that'll that allows you to come back to the metaphor without it like overstretching itself and without without us having to look at it for too long and realize how bullshit it is or at least how bullshit it's handled.
0: Yeah. And therein lies the problem that a lot of these things have really good ideas at their core most of the problems come from exhaustion. Most of the am come from uh, overusing an idea or executing an idea badly. And then you get this horrible situation where if you fucked up, you've now got to get the fuck up off your hands, but all you've got to wipe yourself with is your hand. And <laughs> so you wind up with these comic comics that do something awful, and then they sit there for like two years insisting, no, it wasn't awful, it was genius, it was brilliant. Oh, man, so we're talking about the Inhumans now, huh? Yes, we are. Let let, let let me let me boil the Inhumans down to their absolute core conceit. They are, what if the Game of Thrones were the X-Men? <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> okay. Complete let's... with
0: the incest, inbreeding, horrible moral framework, and thinking about it for more than 30 seconds make you realize that the world would be better if every single one of them was dead.
1: Okay, so I'm going to be <laughs> nice to them.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> that was um, nice!
1: <laughs> it, the basic thing they know about the Inhumans is, uh, I guess pre human history, the Cree, a race of space aliens, came and fucked with human DNA in order to create superhumans. Uh, that didn't go so well for them, which, you know, they would have known if they had heard of any other form of fiction and history involved in this subject. But what ended up happening is a certain subset of humanity. Modern humanity, when exposed to this substance called Terrigen, will develop superpowers and possibly else other weird mutations. And recently, uh, I would say last five years, four years in comics. Definitely the last five years. In merchandising, because Marvel does not own the full movie and television rights to X-Men and X-Men related media, they've been trying to push the inhumans into that role in order to. No,
0: television is the big thing television and a live action a live action x-men tv show would be a money piñata yeah like they don't we're in a great period for this kind of production to get made the special effects are just at that level they could get just the right type of talent it would be perfect they don't have the rights so they can't
1: They, they can they can uh fox can do it all they want to and marvel will get like 10% Ten percent of that, I guess, and they don't yeah. want that ten percent. They'd rather a hundred percent. So they've been which doing is not an
0: unreasonable thing, but creating this problem
1: where they've been putting the the mutants as a whole through the ringer. They've released a terigen cloud into the environment that kills mutants, turns in humans into to, into superpower people, which increases the number of mutants, uh, increases the number of humans, decreases the number of uh, mutants. Uh, mm. They've been to war. They've done all this stuff. Uh, it looks like the X Men are on the rebound because nobody bought that Inhuman shit. Like, yeah,
0: like there was a very strong air about two years ago. And if you want to, if you want someone who's going to go more in depth on the specifics of the story beats, go check out Professor Thorgy on YouTube. There's mm-hmm. a really good breakdown of it issue by issue as he was reading air it. Does
1: good stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it really came across very clearly as Marvel as, as Marvel saying, "So, uh, you know, we may we may have to send your X Men." To a farm upstate, but we've got you these new Inhumans, and if people bit that, they were going to go whole all, just going to all in on that. But it seems that uh, no one did, so they didn't. But it did bring a whole bunch more attention to humans, and the Inhumans are now much more in focus.
1: Yeah, and I think they're starting to put Inhumans where they should be instead of where they were for the last couple of years. And there's some things about the metaphor that kind of work, like the aspect of people viewing them as alien because they are literally part alien but the problem is it's a meaningless part, it's like oh, you're one 1900th alien, you know yeah. and, and and unless you're exposed to a horrible scientific accident nothing will change about you which, hey, that's true of every other superhero, it actually runs into the exact same problem that X-Men had before, which mm-hmm. is why does anybody care about you and not Captain America or Iron Man? Like, you represent the same level of threat in terms, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a problem that the X-Men have as their shared universe, which is there is the, the totality of what the X-Men do that any given other super threat don't do is have their powers events uncontrolled in the hands of people who are by definition unresponsible, which is to say they give them to teenagers, which is... Like, why some of the best stories about the X-Men are about them as teenagers. And we'll get to that later. But with the Inhumans, (laughs) you have this very potent metaphor that people really can respond to well, which is there's always been this thing lurking inside you. And the reason no one's ever noticed it, and the reason you've always felt strange, the reason you've always felt other, is you are. But that otherness brings with it this Harry Potter-esque bullshit arc into a, a city on the moon. With, they crashed with a, into the earth. Yeah, with a, around with a the
1: time rad... they were trying to explore, you know, trying to. Uh, oh yeah, pop, yeah. They they ended up landing into the Hudson Bay. Okay. so that's but, where that's where Adeline was for the last couple of years.
0: But the point is that you know, a far off Hogwarts-style kingdom with you know a rad authority figure who you know I'm not I'm not going to say that he's necessarily a great example of a leader, but Black Bolt has some very strong like there's some stuff there. Um, Same with Medusa. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Indeed, one of my favourite ever short stories in comics is about Black Bolt. Which is this? Uh, Do you know the story Masada? No. Okay. Uh, Real short rundown for the listener and for Clay. It's a short story about a war between human kingdoms and inhuman. It's implied that the X-Men wound up becoming the dominant force of humanity and that wound up leading to this war between... And Black Bolt knows... That by definition, his population can't recover from a war, can only ever uh, weather small impacts. So, an actual protracted fight loses them everything. And so, he goes on this journey around Earth in disguise to learn about history points and about things that humans did and what their common ancestors did in this kind of situation. And eventually comes back home very sad and distressed, realizing that his people are now doomed and he needs to find a way to do something. Tells throughout this the story of the Roman ascended the walls of the Jewish fort Masada, uh, probably the third century AD, I'm not super clear on my dates, in which the, after years of war against this incredibly well-defended fort, the Romans built a path that led all the way out to the wall and they let themselves over and they got over and they found that the night before they arrived, everyone living in the entire fortress had killed them. Oh, gee. Rather than, <laughs> and the apocryphal tale is that the general stands at the, t- at the very top of the wall and looks back to his messenger and says, tell Caesar we have won a rock. <laughs> and Black Bolt is relating this story to himself in his in the back of his mind, narration panel. And then as it shows the, the, the uh, mutant humans successfully overtaking the walls of, you know, starting to begin the slaughter. He flies up above the entirety of his looks down upon it one final time and then screams the word Masada at the top of his lungs. Oh, the last panel is just this massive explosion, like one full page explosion of everything destroyed in the process. Hmm. With, if you must sell your life, sell it dearly. Yeah. And, and that, as far as short stories go, as far as cramming that into, I think it's 14 pages. Great little story.
1: Yeah. And again, there's a lot of there there for the Inhumans. And no. it's not where they've been trying to put them.
0: Yeah. Because the Inhumans have a real wrinkle in their origin story that's kind of hard to get past if you want to go for the long view. Because when, when you start bringing forward elements of a comic book story to the population at large, you kind of, in the process, are dragging your history towards them and saying, hey, this is part of it too. Like, if you want to go back and read it, this stuff is all good too. And when you do that with the Inhumans, you're kind of pointing at their origin, which is a couple of jewish guys sitting around going hey can we make fun of eugenicists?" because <laughs> it's there it's,
1: yeah and it is this weird thing where they try to make i'm reminded of milestone and um milestone comics which you know was the spinoff from dc they had one of the big things they had was the big bang and the big bang was to a bunch of big gangs in dakota city get together on Paris Island, which is not real world Paris Island. It's just the Island off of fictional Dakota city. And they're going to have a big fight, a big gang bang. And the, the, the cops show up, they don't give two fucks about all these Brown kids fighting. So they said, Hey, let's hit them with this experimental gas. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to mark them so that we know who they all are. It's going to be like the ink things that you get on money or on clothes and it mutates them all and gives them superpowers, as you'd expect. And By this the is way, sort of...
0: real quick. A word to always run away from in comic books: experimental.
1: Yes, we shouldn't experiment on anything, to be honest.
0: Yeah, just don't experiment. Uh, no science?
1: Fuck it. No science. No rituals. Just do. Just get a job. More just have lots shit. of gay
0: sex. We know that works. <laughs> no experiment. No. <Nope>. Anyway.
1: <laughs> um. So yeah, and de- this becomes one of the big focal things of the milestone universe uh icon hardware static the blood syndicate uh the zombie they all deal with this thing and it's the, the blood I mean, syndicate their blood syndicate's amazing dude
0: i'm and not I, fighting you just the blood syndicate
1: they're a gang man they're an action i wish there was more gang stuff in superhero comics like yes yeah. st- comics about gangs and not about just people fighting them
0: yeah Talking about but, what gangs are, like failures of infrastructure and, and like kind of homemade communities. Yes, governments. Yeah, anyway.
1: yeah, and um, but anyway, and this is a central thing. They never lean too hard into it being a mutant metaphor, partially because everybody involved is already black or Latino or gay or Asian, so they're already dealing with race in a direct way. That was the whole yep. point of Milestone. But they address this metahuman na- narrative from a perspective of government interaction with human beings like the government created this problem via racism so now you know what who cares it's a bunch of black kids shooting each up let's just do horrible scientific you know unethical science to them and suddenly we have a bigger problem and that's a, a a more nuanced version of a mutant metaphor where it's the mutant metaphor is a manifestation of the racism we did racism and now we have mutants as opposed to we have mutants and so we are racist to them, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. Sorry, just, I was just double checking if there was a, if there was more. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's
1: it. that's sort yeah. of where it goes because they don't they don't delve because it's it's a it's a flashpoint sort of event. But each character in the Milestone Universe has their own story. Each book is its own separate thing, and the Big Bang is just a thing that happens that sort of manifests itself. And Paris Island has been cut off. And Blood Syndicate just owns that area now. Yeah. And again, none of that would have happened if a bunch of cops and helicopters weren't fucking assholes. Yeah. You
0: know? and that, and that, and, or even if just one cop had refused to be an asshole. Yep. You needed a critical mass. You needed it to hit everyone. So you needed a sort of cooperative, collaborative thing. And that, again, plays into one of these things that we get to do with the mutinous metaphor, which is that was a power structure. It wasn't, here is bad mustache McCoppington who had this one idea and he executed like William Stryker because William Stryker got to be like this face for that whole idea. In the mm-hmm. case of Milestone, the way they handled it was here is a structural failing. Here is a group of cops all of whom are willing to do this total dick move and they're all, and they're being gassing teenagers. By... Yeah, that 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 summarizes as a dick move. It's a little worse than just like you know taking the last piece of pizza. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. What is a piece of yeah,
1: we're going to get into this again. <laughs> we'll do that on the, on the Ninja Turtles episode.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In depth um, conversations about pizza. And, and how everyone can view their own persona as a metaphor of a particular type of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Anyway, the thing is, these these uh, power structures, in the case of the Inhumans, they come from purity of genetics because all of their powers come from having been bred as an inhuman and having some Cree DNA in you, which is why they care a great deal about their aristocracy and their bloodlines and who marries who, how children get made. That's, that's like a core to a, to the worldview of being an inhuman. So there's like, they did the inhumans do go off and have some adventures. And there was a brief period where of all people, she Hulk was like cruising around with the inhumans and a teleporting dog. And it was actually kind of cool. But
1: Yeah. they're You know for me the Inhumans feel a lot like. Like lore characters. Like the big purpose they serve is to. Like ser- service the lore of the universe. And I'm not too big into that. Yeah. So that's why I've never been super inter- interested in them. As a whole. Yeah. You know.
0: Totally reasonable.
1: Whereas I guess. In the case of the X-Men. They're more of just a sci-fi character. Like I said before. They're a sci-fi concept whereas i mean i guess the, the x men are wedded to a sci-fi concept whereas the mm-hmm. inhumans are what that's their whole thing you know
0: well the, the that, God, None that none of the inhumans need sci-fi the the inhumans are urban fantasy bullshit they're they're fucking vampires they all yeah. have special powers they all have this bloodline they have the old code and the old ways and the secret history that humans don't get to know anything about and that they're, they're, they're fucking vampires and that's it, fine. It, well,
1: <laughs> the thing about vampires, complete is, with
0: the metaphor of feeding on normal people.
1: Wait, what? I forgot this one.
0: The humans mm-hmm. can't reproduce. Uh, oh, right, without, right. Without normal humans right. who get yeah, they have to to,
1: Yeah, they have to make people experience terogenesis. But
0: yeah, Which, by the way, that's a great word. Yeah, <laughs> but a great word for a villain organization. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not unlike um... what was his name? The um. Ah, oh, God, I'm going to... The High Evolutionary.
0: Yeah. <laughs> God spare me for people who can't explain evolution writing about evolution.
1: <laughs> what you mean, like, uh, apocalypse? You
0: know what, uh man? Heroes. <laughs> the X-Men movies.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Motherfucker. I, kinda,
1: I, I think, I don't know. Now, is it better? Is that better or worse than the original idea that the mutants started being born after the splitting of the atom
0: i honest to god i really like the the mutants start happening after the splitting of the atom because as stupid as that idea is it's at least a a way to explain why the world is different but not as different as it would be if they had existed previously now we're referring to a thing in the city of heroes universe where the claim was that all mutants started happening after the first splitting of the atom uh, in, in Manhattan Project, which was meant to be a way to explain, you know, this is where mutants came from. It's stupid in that universe, especially because that becomes restrictive and it starts telling all players, no, you can't have a very old mutant, which is a well-established trope, blah blah blah. But I don't mind it if, if you were writing a actual controlled story. Like right. you were doing something where you had the say-so on everything that got to exist in your world, and if you were doing it where there was a deviation from the norm, because there's this there's this thing with stories where you kind of want to frame them as if you've just tuned in to N minutes of a story that's already going to take place. And so, the splitting of the atom is, this is the thing that's different, this is what's changed, just follow along from there. But, still.
1: Right. And that whole, like, Nuclear 90 thing.
0: Yeah. It,
1: it, it is you're right it's limiting when you're giving people it's funny because that's the the barrier between like superhero comics and almost a role-playing environment where you kind of don't want you don't want to give all of your writers complete freedom in your shared universe when they're writing a story to be told when you're you know in like considered heroes where you just want to give people tools to create whatever they want to you want to be as open as possible but when you're making a shared universe, you want harder rules. Yeah, and I don't know because I think I think that was also an aspect of the original X-Men narrative until they forgot about it.
0: Yeah, and it kind of gets ru- it, it, its presence would ruin the character of Apocalypse and a couple of other major players in the setting. So, like you know, whatever. But right. then again, and- that's the problem when you have the X-Men in a shared universe where they kind of just run headlong into existing other stuff. Yeah. Again, why is Captain America cool and uh, the X-Men well, be- hated
1: and hounded? Well, because America.
0: Also because Captain America <laughs> is, by all accounts now, a total hunk. <laughs> I don't remember that happening, but, no. So, uh, when, you, when you present the, the, um, the metaphor of both the Inhumans and the X-Men side by side, there are a lot of ways you can go really, really wrong with them, but there are also ways you can execute on them that are really cool.
1: Like uh, a certain show that certain, some people like.
0: I've well, I, I was going to give you a chance <laughs> to get in before I started gushing about X-Men Evolution.
1: Uh, no, go! Please!
0: Alright, so, well, allow me to bare my ass on this one, because I really like X-Men Evolution. I I really like the basically the whole of the show. It, it has a very truncated end, and the season endings are a little bit weak, but Broadly speaking, I feel like X-Men Evolution is one of the best executions of the X-Men as a concept on a television that's been done. And I think a big part of that is because it, instead of trying to give you effectively a jumping in point for the established existing superhero comics, it instead ran for a much more established genre of teen drama. And as a byproduct of that, it meant they had to restructure a whole bunch of the universe to make it okay for it to be about ridiculous teen drama so that means instead of uh wolverine literally having a a a love affair with a married woman that whole thing got junked in favor of now scott and gene have crushes on each other but they haven't sorted that out so we're not going to have to sit here and deal with the very real ramifications of like two married people are probably going to get divorced over this and that's like a huge thing and there's paperwork and all sorts of stuff. And just like, no, let's let's wind it back to the point where it's just about feeling. Also, it's one of the few X-Men TV series I've seen that really does something with the fact that Jean Grey is so insulated from the problems that everyone else has.
1: I remember us talking about this when we were talking, we were saying how to implement a mutant metaphor without making it a metaphor for race and we talked about it being a metaphor for the next generation for newness and things like that almost almost in a kind of a kingdom come way where you have all these new heroes popping up and that's part of where evolution is mostly about you know responsibility and being an adult and things like that less than it is about the racism thing it almost feels like magneto shows up every once in a while to remind them like hey kids hey Hey, you're hated and feared. Remember? Because, <laughs> like, most of the time they're just dealing with, like, interpersonal drama and, like, having these beefs with the other mutants in school. Mm, mm. And it's only when Magneto or some outside factor shows up that it becomes that thing again.
0: Yeah, and and for that matter, in Universe, there are mentions of how um there is some justification to being afraid of mutants and indeed that plays into the character in x-men evolution i actually have some of the most fondness for despite the fact that i normally can't stand him and that's cyclops
1: see it's a it's it's cyclops is so interestingly divisive yeah in that you know there's a very like strong mainstream tendency to dislike him because he's you know he's the stock leader character and he's all serious and whatnot i like him as an X-Men, I think he's probably the best X-Man character just because, you know, his powers are a very clear metaphor. Mm. He, him as a character is defined by his presence in the X-Men, you know? He doesn't yeah. have a very strong, like, outer life, you know? He's, he doesn't have an anchor to normalcy, as we would say. Yeah. But he's such an X-Man character. I, yeah. I have a hard time seeing X seeing Cyclops working outside of his context. But he works very well in that context.
0: Cyclops and, also, as a as a X Man character, can tie his powers very directly to a real world axis of uh, marginalization. Which is, if he doesn't have his, le- his if he doesn't have his visor, he is he's got a disability. He has to he's effectively blind.
1: I've been, I've been saying that because I've spoken about. Uh, Mutancy as you know, gun control and whatever, but it's also a strong element of you know disability. You go back to the idea of Cyclops being on the plane or not being able on the plane because his face is constantly exploding. And they're well, like, I "No I sir." That out now. <laughs> There's like, "No sir, you can get on the plane. We have three mutant seats. The mutant seats are these huge, painful, uncomfortable things that strap you down and cover your face, and we only have three of them per plane, but." There's a seat for you, so and it, and it costs extra
0: three times as much because you take yeah, the space of you know? three and a half people, so taking, yeah. are
1: giving you a discount. All this shit. Or you could not ride the plane and go fuck off.
0: You know? And you know, you can't Nobody say writes you can try because it is a legitimate thing we've got to deal with.
1: That's re- you can't not do that when Cyclops gets on your plane. You know? Yeah. It's not, it's not like when, you know, a Arab couple gets on the plane. That's a different conversation. That's a racism, that's a yeah. marginalization thing. When Cyclops has to go into public, there are public safety issues, and though the way to address those can be really like, you know, disabling, I suppose. Yeah. Rogue, uh, the conversation in the movies, the third movie, for all that movie was what it was.
0: uh, (laughs) Where, where? See, I was like, "Eh, I'll show, I'll, I'll show my ass. I'll admit that I like X Men Evolution, and Clay, Clay brought up X three. That wasn't me. That was Clay. Where,
1: you know, everyone's looking the rogue and talking about how she needs to, they're, they're basically doing the mutancy as a game metaphor thing, and I'm like, well why would you Uh, wanna convert yourself? This is like, I can't fucking touch people! It's not the same! Yeah. It, I, it's not, this is not a power! This just sucks!
0: And, and by the way, the person who said, (laughs) why would you ever wanna convert yourself? Was Storm! Ah, man. I'm sorry, you're a gorgeous, tall, literal goddess standing in front of a girl who cannot touch anyone, who almost killed the first boy she ever had a crush on, and saying, no, everything's fine. Trust me, we're chill.
1: Like, no. And again, (laughs) there's a a disability metaphor there that a lot of writers want to make into, like, a sexuality metaphor. It's like, again, this is what a metaphor breaks down, because it's not always the same. I like the Morlocks, because a lot of them don't really have useful powers. They just look weird, and Mm. they look different. That's a metaphor for, like, visual race, you know, marginalization. Because they barely have powers, if at all, and they just look different.
0: Do you hear that? Do you hear that coming? Do you hear the train coming? Why, we just talked about racism, X-Men evolution, and the Morlocks all at once. Why, Clay, what do you think I'm going to bring up next?
1: <sighs> I guess Spike. we're talking. Of, yes. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? I hung out with a lot of skaters in high school. And I'm sorry.
0: What? I'm just a lot just
1: of young black back. skaters like Spike. I just
0: assumed it was something worth apologizing for. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what?
1: You're right. You're right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've been told they dressed like a 40 year old skater, so that's comforting.
1: So they, they like Spike. Oh, I knew. That's nice. Be- because he was the only one.
0: Oh no, <laughs>
1: you know. But they're like, whatever. They didn't. They weren't thinking that hard. No one was quoting him. They would just draw pictures of him.
0: <laughs> that oh, was it. That, You know that that actually is kind of sad because that that speaks to just how starved that community is for for characters they can connect to. That really yeah. sucks. We yeah. we, sh- we we deserve to do better by then. That that's really awful. Like, like yeah, when they're, you're... they're fanning Spike.
1: <laughs> and, but yeah. It was funny to watch him go and do whatever he joined the Morlocks and that was it. <laughs> he was gone. He got yeah. more Morlocky. But
0: Yeah, that that had a certain uh seventh ranger feeling to it. You know, my yeah. planet needs me, bye bye. <laughs> he did come back for another episode.
1: Yeah, he came back to be the dark one and then his spikes started blowing up or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's been he a
0: while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm not joking. Isn't that what he called himself?
1: I think no. I think that was what they were going to call him before they made the show.
0: That's right.
1: And he was like he had that armored look, and then they brought that back as part of his you know increased mutation.
0: Yeah. Speaking of
1: increased mutations, we have a character like Beast. Yes. And it's funny not not just you know the 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 kind of standard Juxtaposition of you know he's he's scary and monstrous but he's smart but also the idea that he keeps changing and part of that is you know comics trying to remain in stasis it's like every time he gets over looking weird they're like okay we'll just make you look weird a different way so that you're back to having that problem you know yeah like when they Which... first they turned him blue then they turned him into a cat then they turned him into something else and now he's more gorilla like and yeah. and then they brought young beast into the future and again, he yeah. he scarcely has superpowers, right? He's physically, I mean, he's super strong and super agile, but those are low-key powers, you know? You can probably solve Beast with a shotgun to the face. Whereas, you know, and he he represented about the most, he represents about the same level of threat as a very large, fit person, like, roid raging, you know, yeah. almost. <laughs> it's, so, the,
0: it's the Killer Croc in Suicide Squad problem. He's basically yeah. a linebacker. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I imagine Beast is one of the strongest and scariest linebackers around. But I I wouldn't he seems the kind of person who should be worried about a gun.
1: Right. And the thing about that is you can play the you know, the judged by your appearance angle with him because the the level of threat he represents is lower. Similarly to Wolverine, who, okay, he'll stab you up real good. If, you know, if you're in a tight, tie him up, just strap his hands. Okay. Hey, look, we, Wolverine's resolved, right? You just, rest- yeah. you can restrain, you can't kill Wolverine, but you can restrain him fairly easily. Yeah. The same can't be said for Jean Grey, you know?
0: No, no, Gene Grey, you've got to kind of take out or that's it.
1: And this comes to the idea when they talk about it being a bad metaphor. Um, mm-hmm. it was very, I think, I think it was a secret empire thing where they showed the panel where they're saying, um, what was it? Oh, suddenly we're bigots if we're afraid of being destroyed by superpowers. Oh, suddenly we're xenophobes if we're afraid of an alien invasion and this, that, and a third. And it's like, yeah. yeah, like those aren't unreasonable fears, but when you twist that into treating anger and being, you know, it's that, it's where you, you cross pollinate those ideas where they don't fit. It's like, you know, the, the idea that, oh, they, they called us bigots so much that we became them. It's like, no, that's yeah, bullshit! That. It's yeah, stupid! It's not bigoted to be afraid of Cyclops. It's not the same. Yeah. Like, the and fear that, of person...
0: Yeah. And, and therein yeah. lies a really interesting potential for the, for the metaphor, which is Cyclops... If you, if you continue in the vein of Cyclops' power is effectively a disability, that then lets you do stories about infrastructural disability, the way that we treat people who have disabilities, the way infrastructure is slow to develop, and indeed him, as someone who has, as it were, a photogenic disability, being able to represent and interact with members of the community who don't have that good fortune. And that would be something I'd really love to see, for example, a writer who has lived with disabilities to write about.
1: Yeah. But then we're still brushing up against... We'd have to write that with the intelligence that, at the end of the day, his disability is... The lengths he has to go to to keep other people safe,
0: right? Yes, which is not the way most disabilities work, right?
1: There um... I
0: say, <laughs> just just that's a hedge, by the way. I'm not aware of as far as I know anyone who actually like grows vines or anything like that.
1: <laughs> God, what's it? There's a form of you know what? I'm not gonna make leprosy jokes. Yeah, no, leprosy.
0: But between the Bible background and the medical knowledge, no, let's not make those jokes ever.
1: Yeah, no, but. Oh um i lost my my train of thought there but there is uh you have to know when to stop you know there was a story uh yeah that's where i was going there was this story way back when like early in x factor i think it was during a like transitioning the first run of x factor uh where like all of the original x-men had gotten back together to make a separate team yeah and part of the narrative was that there were two teams you know there was this one group called X-Factor Investigations, and they were kind of like the Ghostbusters for mutants. And that was all the original X-Men, right? And they'd say, hey, did you hear about a mutant? Tell us! And these are the X-Men, so they'd go in and save you. And, you know, they just go in and there's these kind of generic-looking jumpsuits and be Ghostbusters, basically. That sounds say, really cool. Right. But the problem is, is, like, are we just fomenting mutant unrest by doing this? You know, we have all these commercials on TV, and are we just... Causing more of the problem. And on the flip side, they had another team called the X-something. Which was, you know, these were secret identities and these were bad mutants. And in case they ever had to go out and publicly use their powers to do something, they'd wear these outfits and use these names. At a certain point, they get entangled in these two characters called, I think, Sunder and Glowworm. And their mutations are, they're like, one of them looks like a worm, like a, like a maggot person, like a maggot centaur, and the other one's just like a big mutated person. They are larger and stronger, they are actively radioactive, and they are dying of cancer. Aww. And so, that's the situation, and they get wrapped up with X-Factor, and it's this weird thing where they're trying to, like, push, like, get these people away from public view. Because it's like, well, clearly you can't be around people and it's just this weird like farce that they're trying to maintain and these are just people who have a mutation that is pretty much just a disability that also represents a threat to people. Yeah. And that weird cross section of character interaction comes in there. And the story ends with them dying because the fuck else is going to
0: happen? Yeah, yeah, that, that there is an end point. You have defined where this goes.
1: It's um and that's kind of What is it? Oh, it's, it's not Sunder. Sunder's a real character. It's Bulk and Glowworm. Sunder has history. (laughs) Sunder did shit. But that place where the narrative of the character, like, knows when to stop in terms of the metaphor. It's like, you can play this narrative of the X Factor team, like, deciding that they know what's best for these guys and they, you know, need to be controlled in a situation like a lot of people with disabilities deal with, with family members and, you know, outside factors. But at the end of the day, they're still radioactive and they still hurt people, and so that yeah. story had to end at a certain point, you know.
0: Yeah, and that's where you, you can... get the problem with. Interestingly, this touches on a problem that Cyclops has, which is Cyclops is really hosed if the X Men stop being a thing. Yeah, what's he going to do? Yeah, what is... what... what's his job? What's he going to justify these? What is it? One hundred and fifty thousand dollar lenses. Yeah, <laughs> they're not cheap. <laughs> with with evolution. Scott gets shifted from the established leader of the X-Men, and the X-Men are a thing, capital T, thing, in that universe, to instead being effectively a high school senior who has the uncomfortable burden of power. And this is, this is a metaphor that I don't think is going to necessarily land for everyone, because I think for most people, there was the fantasy of power, but not necessarily the burden of it. But the idea of, I'm going to high school with effectively a gun in my pocket every time. And I need to remember, no matter how unhappy I'm, I'm get, no matter how badly I'm hurt, I can't ever let anyone know I've got it and I can't put it down and I can't put it away. And that is a literal burden that he has to live with all the time as he goes through an otherwise normal high school life. And it changes the context of the normal jock nerd iteration of, why, why is he so pathetic at dealing with the bullies? Because he doesn't know what he could get away with. He doesn't know how far he could shoot back. And he's not good at, you know, put downs or cool comebacks against the people who are realistically very much beneath him in power. But he doesn't have the option of ever pulling the gun. Because that doesn't just ruin his life, it ruins the life of so many other people and this isn't something that they do with cyclops very often there are there have been a few rare stories uh there was one comic which was just a cyclops and wolverine team up where the whole point was wolverine got to see cyclops really opening up and wiping out a mountain and that was meant to be a sort of like can you please stop making fun of cyclops fans please
1: (laughs) it's 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 interesting Uh, you can justifiably argue against a lot of things cyclops has done in his history It's, it's very interesting to me when people just argue against the presence of the character. It's kind of that same thing where it's, it's, when people like say they hate Superman, I can understand not caring. Like the only way I see people hating characters like that is like they're bringing a lot of weird personal baggage into it. It's kind of the same thing I felt with Statesman, you know, where it's like, you're not, you don't care about the character, you're rebelling against dad. You know?
0: Or realistically with... speaking, the actual dev who yeah. used to justify his position. Like yeah. that was not a non factor.
1: Right, right. But I think I feel like there's a lot of that with Cyclops and Superman, other sort of classically, you know, square jawed, typical looking white dude, superheroes where it's like you don't like him because you're rebelling against something, less so than any particular aspect of the character. Yeah. And it's okay not to like or care about Cyclops, because that's not, he doesn't, he's not your thing. It's just yeah. weird when people hate, like, they, like, super just can't stand him. Because nine times out of ten, they don't even interact with the character, you know? Yeah. They just dislike what he represents.
0: Yeah, which I is, mean, don't get me wrong, and, I really, really didn't like a lot of applications of Cyclops. Yeah. Like, like in the X-Men movie, he's a dick. He's barely anything, is what he is. Yeah, and that's the thing. They they roll him on screen just long enough to be a total dick. Yeah, and then they're like, okay, yeah, cool. This character's done its job. Move it out. Like that. That's all that character is for. And it's it's a testament to how good the X movies are at hating the X move X Men, <laughs> because Cyclops is like individually in there almost always perfectly positioned to be a voice for someone who hates those comics sneering at them. And I really disliked the character for a long time because I thought that was who Cyclops was as opposed to going back and doubling over and realizing that, yeah, okay, Cyclops is the fun police in a lot of stories. He's the one who sits around going, well, I'm afraid we can't go take the blackbird out for a spin because no, you can't take the blackbird out for a fucking spin. There is that thing. It costs a car to fuel
1: it's the crazy thing of like having a reasonable perspective and being someone you can hate you know where you're right and yet you're a hate <laughs> you're someone uh again recently the last like four shows the last season of uh Flash Arrow um uh Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl had their big crossover and that crossover was based on an old story called Invasion And an Invasion, this alien race comes to Earth and they say, your metahumans are going to fucking destroy everything. So you need to do something about it or we're going to destroy you. And that's a villain attitude, but they're not wrong. If you count how many crises there have been because of superheroes where the entire universe was going to be destroyed. Or
0: was... Yeah. Like, one of the points of the Anti-Monitor wasn't that the Anti-Monitor was going to destroy this universe, it's that he destroyed literally all the other ones.
1: (laughs) And they're right in that they should do something, they're wrong in what they think should be done.
0: And that's the basis of a really good villain, by the way.
1: Yeah. It's like the mutant registration argument, right? Yes. And I've had discussions with people where they say things to me like, Oh, well, you can't, you know... Register what someone is, like, well, but no one in the world has superpowers.
0: Yeah. It's different. (laughs) You know? Especially so because we know that you can actually classify mutants in the X-Universe because Xavier can use Cerebro to find them.
1: And it's, if they weren't always going to crazy lengths to make the people on these sides of the argument look insane, it would be different, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's always like, we need to find this mutants and kill them, as opposed to, here, sir, here's your, you know, superpower ID card. And, yeah. you know, if, it, if you have to go into a courthouse to get your, you know, your driver's license, you show them the ID card, that's part of the process. That's not unreasonable, you know? Yeah. But that's crazy. And it's funny, I feel like these are people who have never gone to a school with a, um, with a metal detector on the front door. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like, oh, that's a violation of my property. What if that motherfucker has a gun. I mean, it's it's terrible that we live in that world. Hey, maybe we should do something about all the guns. But
0: and, that's the case, right? And I mean, you, you know, you know, I've drummed on that myself. But and
1: even it's funny because I have this thing where I accept like action movie rules for things more so than most people. And part of that is I don't mind stupid sci-fi solutions to stupid sci-fi problems. I don't hate the idea of a sentinel on its face. Like, yeah. oh, we made a robot to stop mutants. Okay, sure. If if Colossus goes crazy, just, okay, put a big robot to, like, put its hand on him and just hold him down. I'm okay with that. It's how the sentinels have been used pretty much since their creation. As, yeah. you know, Holocaust metaphors. They're walking yeah. concentration camps and they kill you. Yeah. The first comic book I ever read with a sentinel was, uh like, proper comic book, I should say, not like ...watching it on TV. I've seen Sentinels on TV before then... And the first thing I ever saw... ...because the Sentinels aren't that scary... ...in, like, the X-Men 90s show... ...because they get fucked no. up real easily. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they get wrecked is, real is, easily.
0: This might sound like a really harsh dunk... ...but the Sentinels get destroyed by Jubilee. Hey, hey. And Jubilee in the 90s cartoons... ...was not a very powerful character.
1: Yeah, and it's funny how useful she actually was... ...in X-Men Legends, in fighting Sentinels... ...because she had the ability to cause any object to become an explosive.
0: <laughs> like, any of the things inside them? Like, yes. them themselves? No, I mean,
1: and... you could literally walk up to, like, environmental objects and hit the button, and it becomes a bomb. So, you can walk <laughs> up to the Sentinel machine, tap it, and then walk away, and no more Sentinels.
0: <laughs> and I,
1: I liked Jubilee more than most people did, because you could grind her up to crazy levels of effectiveness. But nice. But just the idea of a Sentinel, or just, again, a... Anti-mutant robot device for when mutants start doing crimes because they're people, so they're prob- some of them are going to do crimes or whatever. Superhero threatening- containment. Right, right. That's not crazy, but because again, the mutants are basically a holocaust metaphor. It takes yeah. that core idea to crazy levels.
0: And and by the way, if you do want a story about the difficulty of containing superpowers and superhero entities, um, I would recommend Mark Wade's *Irredeemable*. On the other hand, Mark Waid's Irredeemable is one of the darkest comic books I've ever read and enjoyed. So, you know, maybe don't read Mark Waid's Irredeemable.
1: Make a choice. Make a choice, people. We (laughs) give that freedom to you. And the other side of that is, I guess, it's... Hmm, I don't know how to put this. Because things like, I'd love to see a reasonable, like, look at the idea of a superhero containment team. Almost like damage control. Whereas instead of, you know, damage control, they come in and they clean up after big superhero fights. I'd love to see just, like, a super... I guess that's what S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> is supposed to be.
0: Yeah, hypothetically. But
1: Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is supposed to be that kind of thing, but it ends up being something else. Like, yeah. when when it was announced, I know me and my friends were all sitting around and we're going, Oh, I can't wait to watch, you know, every episode, some new Z-lister. Like, the first episode, they fight Batchrock the Leaper. What? Ooh. I guess, no, we, that's what we wanted. That's not what we got. <laughs> Cause and that's cause what I'm we thought there, was be. the Leaper. Well, he was in, he was in, um, Winter Soldier. He was that first guy. Yeah.
0: I haven't seen that Soldier yet, man. Oh, well, shit. It's not on fights,
1: in Australia. Isn't Oh, well, I'm sorry. Pirate okay. that shit. <laughs>
0: right. We at the, from the rooftops podcast, do not encourage theft of any kind from creative people. Not at all. Fuck corporations. Anyway, Pirate I- that shit! <laughs> But, no, um... <laughs> also, we should probably wrap up soon.
1: Yeah, no, we're going. But, yeah, there's a... Whenever you want to write a superpower metaphor thing, there has to be a point where you acknowledge that the metaphor doesn't go as far as you think it can. Not just you as a writer knowing that, but in the fiction. One of the things... And you always go, Hey, we're going to talk about Blade. Here's me talking about Blade. Other vampires will come to him and say things like, well, you're one of us, and this, that, and the third. He says, yeah, but we fucking eat people. There's a limit. <laughs> All right? You see this? There's a. You see where, like, I'm a black guy. I've dealt with racism, but also I'm part vampire, so I know we eat people. That's where the
0: line is. <laughs> the <laughs> line is eating people.
1: So, there's a line, and you have to know. it's. It can be handled well, but it requires... Not just the person, but the characters in the story, knowing where the line is.
0: Yeah, and that's when you get to, you run into the problems of characters just not even realizing there is, and you get these really embarrassing versions of characters saying really stupid stuff. Yeah. And then you like, what, what in X two? Have you tried not being a mutant? Oh, but that's actually know. a reasonable shot. Hey, honey, your powers start fires. Have you considered not using your powers to start fires? He doesn't oh, no. have to start fires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And
1: again, if the character does, uh, there was an Ultimate X-Men book. Uh, I think it was like 48 or something where Wolverine is sent in to basically murder a young child because that child's power is to make everything around him, everybody around him, a living person, just living flesh, burst into flames and die. That's all he does. That's all yeah. he can do. And he ends up hiding in a cave and Wolverine comes in with, the, like, some beers, and he's like, look, kid, here's, here's the situation. And they sit there, and he drinks the beer, and they talk about life. And then the story ends with Wolverine walking out alone. Yeah. Because it's not always, like, what's 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 the metaphor for that? What is that representative of in, like, real life? It,
0: and it's Wh- not. Where's the parallel? It, it, it just it's, isn't there. not no way, parallel for that. Just to tie these things together as we go out. That right there is a wonderful example of anchoring Wolverine to normality. And I know that sounds weird, but Wolverine is the guy who can survive that experience and kill someone, and there is a recognition that killing someone who hasn't technically done anything that bad, like, as a well, choice... he killed his own so,
1: hometown, yeah.
0: Well, but... no, he never made any choices. Right, he right. Having, he had no moral agency in that. Effectively, that kid woke up in a bomb zone. Mm-hmm. And Wolverine is the person who... By using Wolverine to do that, they're able to represent that there is a moral weight and a pain in doing that, and that Wolverine is the character who in that group can do things, which anchors him to the normal, because the other X-Men who could survive that couldn't do it. Yeah. I can't see I can't see any rendition of that story with Colossus doing it that doesn't fuck Colossus up forever. Yeah.
1: Um there was something similar where Colossus kills Proteus, I think, because that was the only way to solve the problem. And, yeah.
0: and he was done. He left.
1: He left. He said, "Okay, yeah. I killed the man. I can't. I'm out." Yeah, but what like did that I was say? the only. Yeah, that was the only solution to that problem that Cor- that Proteus presented, and Colossus did it. He was the only one there to do it. And so then he fucked off because what else is he going to do? And yeah. and there's a thing where some powers are not like some powers break the metaphor and that's the thing that that the fiction has to know that's the thing where someone who's in the story has to be aware of and make a point of otherwise you just end up with this situation where you just I guess like satire you're legitimizing the bigotry you're saying yeah sure you know these people who are other are dangerous because they clearly fucking are and and it's because I do like the x-men I like a lot of the characters I like a lot of the stories they've told, and I even like playing around with the idea of the superhuman metaphor. I just think it doesn't get used as intelligently as it can be. because. And honestly, I think part of that is the idea that we as a culture use, we, we try to treat the idea like every opinion is valid. So even the crazy bigots, we have to, like, we have to explain to them why they're wrong. So we say, they think these people are dangerous. Let's show these quote, dangerous people and show how they're not so you have you know you have cyclops there and he's like i'm not dangerous for real i'm a good guy like you still fucking shoot lasers out of your face man (laughs) very practically dangerous like in a real sense you know trying to explain to people who think that people who aren't dangerous words excuse me aren't you know to, to say oh these muslims aren't dangerous you have to explain it to them Instead of being like no, that's just an invalid thought. Instead of trying to have them understand that their fear isn't a real fear, it's an ick reaction, you know. And instead, we say no, this is a real fear, but you don't have to have it. It doesn't click. It doesn't sync up. And I don't know. I wish. I, besides, I guess God loves man kills, which I enjoy because it's short and mostly self-contained. I have a hard time making those direct comparisons. I do love evolution because it steps away from the oppression metaphor and goes more into a puberty metaphor, basically. And that's strong. I want to come up with more material to suggest people along these lines. You know?
0: Yeah. And I mean, annoyingly, there is currently a a show going on that is about superheroes at the the turning of your first major step in your life. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back to uh, Benedict Hero Academy
1: it's a good show. It's not about that. It's not about any of that in the least, even though it kind of has the same structure of, you know, mutants pop up. It's just mutants become most of the population very like inexplicably quickly.
0: Well that's kind of that that is kind of what would actually happen in an evolutionary system like uh, distribution of population genetics. Yeah.
1: Um God, what was that show? Um what is it? S Cry Ed or Scry Ed? -ed, Which is kind of like Yes. Where it also had like a mutant narrative and they decided to go like straight to Mad Max with it. So Like, they didn't, they didn't explore the early area. They were just like, okay. And then a big, a mutant did a big thing. And now there's just this wasteland where mutants live and fight against the government, which is fun. And that's the thing too. They're, they don't lean into the mutant aspect to the altar, as they're called, aspect too easily. They just, there are altars with the government and there are altars, you know, in the wild. So it's basically just like rebels versus the empire sort of thing. And, that's fine. Like, if you have people on both sides, then it becomes less of an issue of you know, you know, marginalization, and more of just you know, freedom versus oppression.
0: I suppose. With with all that said, there is there is just a lot to chew on here. Like this is a this has been a long record. The episode probably will be longer than the others, but there is there is definitely a lot going on with this whole conversation around the the X Men's mutants as metaphors, as it connects to the Inhumans we've talked about some specific issues we've referenced academic papers like this is this has been a wild ride Uh, yeah
1: and it should be expected since the 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 subject matter that they touch on is just as thorny and complicated Mm. which i guess is part of the value of it 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 encourages this conversation yes and hopefully we've encouraged some conversation with you dear listener
0: um if you if you've been enjoying our stuff please do let us know via twitter via email via all the appropriate links that we've attached to the release and we hope you tune in next time for more from the rooftops. That was Clay. That was Talon. Tune in next time when we're gonna talk about Blade. <laughs> Stop.